0: directly following service. Uh, I want everyone, John Roberts is gonna be happy I said this, everyone, go out there to the resource table. We have some great resources out there, including million dollar bills, right? Okay, awesome. Well, we have some great resources out at the resource table. We have some Christmas tracks, we even have some Star Wars tracks. Anyone seen The Force Awakens yet? Okay, I haven't, so everyone keep your mouth closed if you, if you have. Uh, but we want you to go out there that was the last one. It's the last Jedi. I'm sorry. Uh, but go out to the resource table and pick up some gospel tracts. Be handing them out this week as you're out shopping. Uh, a great strategy and a great way to do it as a family. No one says no to a kid. So give one of the tracks to your kid and tell them to go give them. No one says no, and we're sharing the love of Jesus. Hey, also, I wanted to draw our attention to next week. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. And we have service. There is a 10 o'clock service, so come on out to the 10 o'clock service on Christmas Eve, but also on the eve of Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve evening, we have a 5 o'clock service here, candlelight service, so come on out. It's going to be an hour-long service. Come on out and celebrate the birth of our Savior uh, with the family here at Hillside Christian Fellowship. With that, Pastor Dave.
1: Come on. Praise God. What a great morning. And it is good to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4 as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. We arrive this morning in Exodus chapter 4 and the lights will be coming up in just a moment that'll help you be able to see your Bibles as we go through Exodus chapter 4. While you're doing that, I want to make sure everybody understands that you have permission to be on your smartphones. We ask that you turn the volume down in case somebody calls in, but we would really like for you to, on your smartphone, in fact, before, we, before I even say this, let me take a quick survey. How many of you have a smartphone? Raise your hand. Keep it up. Just keep your hands up. You have a smartphone. How many of you have social media on your smartphone? If you still do, you can keep your hand up. This would be so amazing. Now you can pop them down for a moment. We would invite you to go to social media. It would be amazing with the number of hands that were raised just a moment ago, let's assume for the sake of argument, it's 75 people. 75 people. If 75 Hillside Christian, fam, Hillside Christian Fellowship family members went to social media and on Facebook liked our live service and after liking it, shared it to your Homepage or your news feed? How many more people might see, be exposed to? And then beyond that, if we remained engaged, like when you hear some truth in the Word of God, you press that little heart button in there and it just bounced across the bottom of the screen. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Praise God. We want you to be involved and engaged. And so we invite you to do that because you have family and friends who may never, who may never sit in a church service like this, but they might sit at their computer screen and watch a service at home and respond to what God wants to do in and through them and their lives. Does that make sense? So please, please, please join us with that and take time to do that. Okay, that being said, we're in Exodus chapter four. And in my prayer time, in my processing this week, I was mentioning even to the folks in the back who kind of pre-service prayer time in the back. Uh, I said, it's interesting to me how I might process portions of Scripture. I might read portions of Scripture. And I, there's a plethora of places that I get led to in my preparation for Sunday morning. But it's really interesting how by Saturday generally Saturday morning, the acuteness of what I believe that God wants to say to us through his word becomes more evident and more solidified in my heart. And I would say it's the sense of something in me becomes, and I think it's the spirit of God just rising up in me and bringing about a certainty that this is the word of the Lord for our fellowship. In spiritual circles, we call it kind of like an unction. It's just an unction. I believe that this is what God the Spirit wants to say to us in a revealed truth from the word of God to inspire us and to bring about transformation in us that we would not leave this place today the same as when we arrived that his word taking root in us would have that transformative work and that we might in a whether it's infinitesimally small or magnanimously large we would be more like Jesus can I get an amen amen Amen. so in Exodus chapter 4 we're gonna initially look at the first nine verses and we may get through verse 17 says this, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Now remember in the previous chapter, Moses is standing before this magnanimous sight, the burning bush. He was in the backside of the desert. He's tending Jethro's sheep. He's the shepherd, he's out there, and he sees a bush ablaze, and it is not being consumed. And the angel of the Lord is in the midst of the bush. Now, it's very interesting to me, and we won't go into much depth with this, but There must have been something about that bush that would have drawn him even nearer to it. For the word of God says that he turned aside to go see this sight. And the angel of the Lord, God in the midst of the bush, saw that he turned aside to come and see this magnanimous sight and said, Moses, Moses, do not approach but remove your shoes for the ground which you are standing is Holy ground, holy ground. And it's fascinating to me that later in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 16, you can just write that verse off to the side and go and reference it later, but it talks about the one who dwelt in the bush. And the word there in the Hebrew, dwelt in Deuteronomy chapter 33, it's it's an interesting word. It's shankah, and we derive from that shekinah or the Shekinah glory. And I wonder on that day when Moses was in the back of the desert, that if it wasn't in fact a different kind of fire in the bush, maybe what he saw that caught his attention was the Shekinah glory of God dwelling in this bush. And that glory was something that was magnanimous to him, a blaze, if you will, and he was drawn toward it, and God said to him, Moses, Moses, remove your shoes, for the ground on which you stand is holy. So here he is. He's in the presence of God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, and as he's standing there, and this conversation is happening, he's being told that God is going to use him as Israel's deliverer. That the time has come to the fullness, and the answer of God's prophecy and word to Abram earlier, the 400 years, has come to an end, and God was gonna use Moses as the deliverer. And so he has this information, and so here he is now, and Moses is answering these callings, if you will. I hear some music. Moses is answering this calling, and he's answering with the excuses as to why he cannot be the deliverer. And he's now saying, Lord, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Now let me, let me ask you something. Did God not know what was in Moses' hand? God was not asking Moses what is in your hand because he needed information from Moses for him to understand what it was that he was holding. God already knew. God was drawing attention to Moses. God was drawing attention to that which was in his hand perhaps even to deflect him from all of the anxiety of what was actually transpiring. God, or Moses, I'm calling you to lead your people. I'm calling you to deliver your people. I'm calling you to go before Pharaoh. I'm calling you to do these amazing things. And Moses is like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Moses, what's in your hand? And you can just imagine, Moses like looked. And the moment he looks at what's in his hand, His attention is simply drawn away from all of the other things and all the reasons why he could not. Anybody here ever feel like maybe God's asking you to do something and you have all the reasons why you're not fit to do that? Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do these other things. I'm not capable. I'm inadequate. I'm infirmed. There's no way I can do that. I think God would draw our attention to say, hey, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And with that thought in mind, let's go through and then we're going to come to just some thoughts centered around really God's potential at hand. God's potential at hand. Here we go. So the Lord said to him, verse 2, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod or a staff. And he said, cast it on the ground. So Moses cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. I think that's powerful. I think it demonstrates that Moses was shocked at what happened. Imagine yourself there for a moment. Now, notwithstanding, Moses is talking to the Lord God who is in the midst of the bush. If that doesn't blow your mind, first of all, He could see God in the bush and it's a flame burning potentially with that Shekinah glory and the bush is not being consumed and there's verbal communication. Can I get a whoa? (laughs) Come on, on the count of three. One, two, three. Whoa. I mean, that's weighty. Now, he's been told, don't approach any further, so he's got whatever distance that is, and he's made an excuse, and God's drawn his attention to the staff in his hand, and he says, cast it down. Now, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years in the deserts of Midian. This is probably a stick that he has had for a long time potentially the entire time. In fact, I dare say that this stick probably actually had his handprint almost molded into it from the amount of time that he has used it to direct sheep, ward off wolves or whatever, thump some dudes on the head that were trying to, you know, uh, control the watering hole. Whatever it was, that thing was kind of molded to his hand. It was a familiar stick, probably worn off. I remember when we used to take our kids camping. Some of you would remember back in the day when my kids were little kids and we would go on the church camp out and all the young boys, Austin, you'd remember this, they would find a stick and they would spend the next four days with sometimes a butter knife, but they would be peeling the bark off, and they would be smoothing that thing down, and they would get it to where, I mean, this is a true story. I had a collection of camping sticks on my side yard, and it was an accumulation of like five, six, seven sticks, and it represented one stick from every church camp out. And I remember cleaning the side yard, oh my word. We're talking like 10 years later, this was last year. I have a 27-year-old son and a 25-year-old son and I'm gathering up sticks and I'm like, okay, we're gonna put these in the garbage can or the recycling bin. And you would have thought that I was you know, destroying their favorite thing, their car. Like I was pulling things out of their vehicle and saying, we're going to destroy. They're like, you can't destroy those. Those are our sticks. <laughs> I mean, it just had value to them still. This is the kind of thing for a shepherd. They had their stick. And now God says, throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground. Whoa. Whoa. He throws it on the ground and it's, it says it was cast to the ground and it became a serpent. If the burning bush that didn't burn didn't blow him away, if God in the midst of the burning bush talking to him verbally did not radically blow him away, Clearly we see when he threw the stick on the ground and it became a serpent, he fled from it. That would have warped his mind. That would warp your mind. It would certainly warp my mind. That is not something that we've ever seen. Now, this is God. And this is man. And God's interacting with man this way. Moses is one of God's chosen. Look at your neighbor and say, you are one of God's chosen. You are one. And Moses fled from it. Moses fled from it, he backs off, and he's startled. You can imagine now his attention is on the serpent. If you've been out in the wilderness somewhere, and you've come across a rattlesnake, you become very aware of your distance between you and the snake. We don't know what kind of snake this is, but most people have the eebie-jeebies about any kind of snake. I mean, I can remember walking along and a little gardener snake moving in the lawn, and I mean, it's like, woo <laughs> It's like, did anybody see that? <laughs> it's just a little guy. <laughs> Pick it up, and it was an earthworm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand, he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Whew. I mean, in the annals of the miraculous in the history of God and in his encounter with mankind, that must have been a moment. That must have been a moment. Verse 5. What be, let me finish verse four. Caught it by the tail and he reached out in his hand, caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. If the burning bush that was burning but wasn't consumed, if God in the presence of the bush, talking verbally to him, throwing down the staff, which clearly alarmed him, and then picking it back up and it becoming a staff after turning into a snake, has not totally warped his mind, putting his hand into his breast and pulling it out and seeing that his hand was leprous, like white like snow recognizing no cure for a disease that I now possess in my body, this must have been a major concern and a startling. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. How refreshing those words must have been. Put it back. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be that if they do not believe nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, the water which you take from the river will become blood, on the dry land. God is about to do the miraculous through Moses, who feels underqualified, insufficient, unable. In fact, it's very likely that Moses, reflecting back, Some 40 years earlier, when he took the initiative into his own hands to lead God's people out and became a wanderer and a uh, warrant, if you will, of the state. He was wanted for murder. His own people, not even acknowledging him, but rather saying, what, are you going to murder us as you did the Egyptian, which caused him to flee, flee into the wilderness. So here's this Levite. Hey, and remember, this is a little study for you to do. If you don't understand who the Levites really are and their disposition, listen. Jacob, Levi's father, prophesied in Genesis chapter 49 about Simeon and Levi. And you know the story. You know their sister Dinah was raped. And these cats took it into their own hands and went and slew a whole community. Killed them all. And Jacob later says of Levi, he says, man, his anger is burning. Don't even associate with it. That's this DNA that's working in Moses. And you could see Moses in his earlier years seems to have some of that Levite temperament in him that he would see the mistreating of one of his brothers and slays the Egyptian. Have you seen someone mistreated in your life? Have you seen a family member mistreated in your life? I know I have. I can remember as a teenage kid, and I was used to fighting. As a teenager, I was a boxer. As a teenager, I was a weightlifter. As a teenager, I was engaged in this kind of living, and I could see one time my sister being improperly treated. And I might want to beat someone to a pulp, but it isn't in me to murder them. That's like a whole new threshold. And yet, for Moses, it... We have no indication that it wasn't anything less than second-hand nature. And so, now, he's coming up with all the reasons why he can't. What's transpired in Moses' life in 40 years? The, the temperament has changed. So today's message, three points associated with this godly potential at hand or God's potential at hand, if you will. The first thought, Moses held an instrument that revealed his presence. I don't even remember what we were watching. It was, maybe it was a football game. <laughs> and they were like, what are you asking? What are you asking? And at the end of the day, uh, Matt's first response was, well, that's stereotyping, but we do that. Here's the thing. I just want to remind you, that what you do does not define who you are. Just like, just as much as standing in your garage does not make you a car, it's the reality. Does that make sense? So what you do doesn't necessarily determine who you are. Now, Moses, he's got a staff in his hand, and he says, I got a rod, I got a staff. And that staff more than likely had a crook on the end, shaped like a candy cane. Remember, as we went through the book of Joseph, or the book of Genesis, and we read about Joseph, we discovered that shepherds are an abomination to Egyptians. They won't eat with Hebrew shepherds, because they are an abomination to the Egyptians. Here's a guy who was raised in Pharaoh's court. He's now on the backside of the desert. And the very thing that he was raised to view abominably, disassociately, loathsomely, he now is. What might that do to one's psyche? Have you ever said, oh, I'd never do that? (laughs) Careful what you say. (laughs) You may end up doing just that, right? Ah. They were loathsome, viewed as unshaven and ill-dressed, stinky. Well, I'd ask us the question, what about you today? What's in your hand that from those on the outside, they are predetermining who you are? What I say, you, you may not be here with the staff in hand, but sometimes we carry stuff. So let's kind of get metaphoric for a moment. What are some things that you and I might carry? Anybody here ever carry a grudge, right? Anybody here ever carry uh, unforgiveness? Anybody here ever carry a uh, Criticism? Anybody here ever carry? I mean, the list could go on. We're carrying it. And sometimes because we've revealed what we're carrying, we could get identified. It may, not, it may not be descriptive of who we really are, but we get positioned. And it can mess with even our own perception of who we are. But I want you to know today, and I want to remind everybody today, that what you carry, even if it's, you're carrying some stuff that you shouldn't be carrying, it doesn't define who you are. It does not define who you are, okay? Now, keep that thought in mind. Let's go to point number two. Moses held an instrument that recalled his previous office. Now, I want to emphatically state that what I'm about to say is some conjecture, conjecture. Okay? But I want to reflect it for you and I. Because sometimes, sometimes we're thinking of the past. The first point was really dealing with the present and how that doesn't necessarily define us. This point, he's carrying this staff. What is in your hand? It's a staff, it's a rod, it's a shepherd's crook. I want you to know something. You could do your own little encyclopedia search. If you, like in my home, uh, my family this year, uh, we, were, we went through the British Museum of Natural History. Epic. And in there was a whole wing on Egyptian history. I, I was fascinated because I was looking at the, uh, the stone tablets and the I'm going to pronounce this word wrong. I always do. My kids always correct me. But it's the obelisks where they have information that was uh, historical information written. And it's there. I remember walking through and seeing the story of the Israelites and their captivity uh, in in a particular arena. uh, I think it was the Amorites in this particular time. And all that to say, it was just a fascinating thing because on the actual stone, and it was a whole wall section that they had brought and put in the museum. And here here is the biblical story. And it was just fascinating. Kim and I, we were taking picture after picture after picture. But we came into this one area, and in this one area are the sarcophaguses, if I pronounce that correctly. And there here's these Egyptian like encasing tombs where there's a mummified body in it. And it's interesting because they had that, you know, the little deal of the Egyptian piece of the head and the eyes all painted wide open and their hands were crossed like this and in their hands are two objects one in one hand one in the other are you ready for this one is a flail which is a stick with a couple of other sticks or strands of you know rope that they would use at the threshing floor because egypt was the breadbasket of the world And in the other hand, of all things, in the shape of a shepherd's crook is the scepter. And the scepter, in the shape of the shepherd's crook, was a sign or a symbol of the Pharaohic authority. And imagine now Moses holding an actual shepherd's crook being a shepherd. You think that it may have reminded him of the days that he was being raised in Pharaoh's court by the daughter of Pharaoh who had no other offspring? So Moses was being raised up as the apparent heir, heir apparent. He's the next Pharaoh. You think he might have walked around as a kid in the, Pharaoh's court with a shepherd's crook? I dare say he would. And history would tell us, extra biblical information would tell us. Josephus, you know the historian Josephus, tells us about Moses as an Egyptian prince leading an army into battle against the Ethiopians. Antiquity of the Jews. You can read it today. You can purchase a copy of the three-volume set Artapanus credits Moses with leading a campaign against the Ethiopians and taking the city of Hermopolis. And according to him, the war and that ultimate siege of Hermopolis lasted some uh, 10 years. And although that volume does not exist anymore, it's quoted by an early century church historian, Eusebius, And this is information we have of Moses in his early years that are extra-biblical historical document that tells us that he was a commander of the armies of Egypt and he would take them out on conquest. He is the guy with the staff. And now in the back of the desert, he's holding a staff. I wonder if his human nature is anything like yours and mine and we might be reflective of what once could have been Do you ever think back and rehearse in your life missed opportunity? Oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I should have done this. If only I could rewind the tape. If I could just go back and do it different, I would. I don't think Moses was probably any different in that regard. His staff is used to lead sheep today. Moses, previously as a general, led troops into victorious battle. His staff is used to protect his flock. Moses, formerly as a general, would use his weapon to protect the throne. His staff is a tool of his trade. Moses, previously as an heir, destined towards the scepter, the tool of his heir apparent destiny his staff is a defining instrument of a shepherd formerly as an educated egyptian he viewed shepherds in that disdainful abominable way and now he's there and i i would say like you and i moses must have reflected on his past remembering a time when his hands held a scepter perhaps in his mind he went back to the days in the palace in egypt and again this is conjecture but it's Missed opportunity, what could I have done different? Perhaps reminding him of when he was a prince. Now he's but a servant. Hmm. Perhaps he's being reminded of his state. He's not even watching his own sheep. These are his father-in-law's sheep. In fact, probably the only thing that he owns, so to speak, the clothing on his back and the staff. He is married and he probably has a tent and there's going to be some children, but here he is. The potential of the past. He's cast off by his own people, the children of Israel, and he's a fugitive, fugitive of his adopted Egyptian family. What about us? What about us? Whatever it is that you hold on from your past, certainly your present. If it's stuff that you ought not be holding on to. As a born again believer, your sin and my sin has been canceled. Why do we hold on to it? It's been forgiven. We've been justified. But somehow we still hold on to it so often. And we allow it to define who we are. We forget that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God in Christ. And yet, we stay in this other weighted place as if somehow we're still under the law of sin and death. It affects our faith. It affects how we live. It affects how we interact with people. It affects even what we believe. We become subject. We listen to the lies of the enemy. Did God really say that? Did God really do that? Are you even really saved? Do you really have faith? Have you you had thoughts in the quietness and the seclusion of yourself when you're by yourself and you're cerebral and those thoughts are coming in and the arguments are flying back and forth and we find ourselves like Eve in the garden listening to the arguments of the enemy? I want to encourage you today, don't do that. Be reminded that you have the authority to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need not stay there. Whatever it is we hold on to, and sometimes I think we just have too firm of a grip on it, we won't let go. Right? I mean, if it's sin and you're out of control, Let go, and let God empower you to say no. Let the grace of God, which brings salvation, teach us to say no, to live upright and godly in this present age. That's what Titus reminds us, Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Reminding us of our past, our sins, our hurts. Hey, has anybody here ever been hurt emotionally? Come on, it's not just me and three others, right? I mean, we take our wounds and sometimes we wear our wounds like badges. We need not do that. It's it's not like our new armor. God's provided armor for us. It doesn't need to create walls in relationship. Sorrows negatives, missed opportunities, failures, broken relationships, they do not define us. Say that with me, they do not define us. What is it in your hand? I love that Moses was told to cast his staff down. If you have some stuff today, that you're holding on to, in your hands, maybe you got a tight grip, maybe you got a loose grip, but you're just holding on to them, and it's kind of been defining even the way you process and think, I would want you to hear what the Son of God said to Moses, cast it down, cast it down, cast it down. Here's the beauty, when it was cast down, it didn't go away, but it was transformed. It was transformed and picked back up. When it was picked back up, it became a powerful tool of deliverance. What you and I have gone through, what you and I have experienced, what you and I hold on to, what you and I have walked through, and no matter what it is, great or small, when it's cast down into the presence of Almighty God, And he says, you can pick that back up now because it's been transformed by my power. It can become a tool of personal deliverance for you and deliverance for others around you. And God wants to use even our mess, our mess to bring deliverance. Thanks be to God, this cat, I am not the dude that I once was. Most of you in this room, if you knew the former Dave, you wouldn't even come to church here. Thank you, brother. I mean, my wife would have never married me. Well, I did disclose to her all of the junk. And she said, true story. I disclosed everything one day sitting in Shannon's yellow pinto out in front of Burgerville on this hot date we were on. And I said, I think you need to know a little bit of my history. And I just went, blah. And she looked at me intently and she says, that's nice. I was fully prepared for her to give me her story and go, blah. And I would have responded, "Uh, that's nice. But she didn't. Long story short, grace, mercy, and thanks for saying yes, and I do. But God can transform our past. I don't know what just happened, but anyway... God can transform our past, and it can become a tool. You see, even my testimony today, God uses his transformation in me to lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It can be deliverance from death to life, the destiny of another human being who is walking in condemnation of their sin, whose destiny is on the wide road and the broad road that leads to death and destruction. And the story, the past that's been transformed becomes a roadblock and an off-ramp. And they get on the narrow road where there's a narrow gate that leads to life. And they become one of the few that finds it. God can take your past, cast down before the presence of God himself. He'll transform it. And you can pick that back up and it becomes a tool of deliverance. God can transform them into a powerful tool for you and for others. Let's go to the third point. Moses held an instrument redefined as God's powerful opportunity. So whether you are reminded of missed opportunities, failures, maybe Moses was, maybe he wasn't. Maybe you're looking at the future and wondering, why me, how God, that's impossible and I can't. Like we know Moses was. Anxiety over the thoughts that seem to plague you. The Lord has shifted Moses' attention and the Lord will shift our attention. It's not about the stuff. It is about God, and it is about his call, and it is about his power, and it is about his will, and it is about his purpose. So, God showed Moses that he could use an ordinary staff to perform the miraculous. And lest for some reason we think that well, okay, that's Moses, but hey, there's a whole lot of people in the Bible, right? Could God take other people and use ordinary things and anoint their lives and anoint that thing that is in their hand so that they could accomplish something great? Remember Joshua took the children of Israel across the Jordan River? said, march around Jericho six days on the seventh day, march around seven times Blow the trumpet and shout. Not exactly what you would call the most extreme military tactics of the day. But with a horn and with a shout, the walls of Jericho came down. God, who took Rahab, who by faith took a ribbon, and put it around her window in the walls of Jericho, delivered her and her family. Shamgar, in the book of Judges, took an ox goad that was in his hand and slew 600 Philistines. A farmer who's driving an ox takes the ox goad that was in his hand and slew 600 and became a deliverer. You ladies, lest you think it has to be a man, J.L., J.L. took a hammer and pinned a dude's head to the earth. And she became a deliverer. Gideon, he had a torch and a clay pot and 300 guys and God used them with a torch and some clay pots to bring deliverance. Samson and the jawbone of an ass Rubbish on the ground. Don't even touch it. You're an Israelite. You're a Nazarite. Don't touch a dead animal. Picks up the jawbone of a donkey. God says, I'll anoint that. And he slew a thousand Philistines. A thousand Philistines. Here's a familiar one. David, boy David, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the children of God? He says, I can't wear your gear, Saul. I'm not used to it, King Saul. And he takes it off and he straps his satchel on and he pulls out his leather sling and he goes down into the brook and picks up some stones and puts them in his pouch and puts one fixed in the sling, tight. And he approached the giant. The scripture says running toward the giant. Approaches him completely to the taking of his sword, cuts off his head, and holds it up, the anointing of God. The widow of Zarephath, First Kings, Elijah the prophet said, make me a cake first, make me a muffin first. There's only enough for me and my boy and our last meal and then we're gonna die. Make me one first. By faith, she made the prophet a roll. And her vat of meal and her vat of oil did not run dry. The anointing of God and the availability. What about Elisha and the widow? What is in your house? Her response, nothing, nothing. Okay, we we have this little jar that's got some oil in it. Great. She was going to lose her two sons into the debtor's prison because her husband had died and she could not supply the debt that was owed, and so the taskmaster of the time, the one who was owed the money, says, I'll take your two sons and they can labor for me, leaving her destitute until the debt is paid. She says, I got nothing. I mean, we have this little jar of oil over here, and the prophet says, great. Go and get empty vessels and not just a few and start pouring oil and fill the vessels. And when there was word from her sons, there are no more. The oil stopped and the prophet said, take it to the market, sell it, pay off your debt and Live on the rest. Abundantly above to supply the sustenance for life. That's God's anointing on the availability of that which we have in our hands. Can I get an amen? Amen. All too often we spend time looking at what we don't have rather than focusing on what in fact we do have. If we will just but put it in the hands of God. How about the servants in Cana? Mom says, whatever he says, do. There's some good motherly advice. There's a a mom's day sermon. Hey, do whatever he says. That's good advice today, amen? Whatever Jesus says, do that. Come on. And he says, those jars over there, go fill them with water. They filled them with water and he said, now draw from the water and pour it in the glass. And the water became wine. And not just any wine, the best wine. And you know the boy with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said to the disciples, feed the people. (laughs) you imagine what that was like? Some 5,000 people, they've just sat down and that's just the men that were counted. There's women and there's children. Hey, feed the folks. (laughs) And you could just see Andrew going, did you hear that, Peter? You got it. See you, buddy. We <laughs> don't feed five thousand. Are you kidding me? What? That would take like years' wages. What? I mean, I can't even. I fish all night and don't bring anything in the net. What? What do you have? Oh. There's this little guy over here, and he's got some bread and a couple fish. Great. Let's take that. And he blessed it. And there was so much left over that they collected a baskets full of bread and fish left over. God will take what's in our hand doesn't have to define us, our past, and our present doesn't have to define us, but he will certainly take it, and he'll anoint it, and he will bless it, and God will do supernatural things through you and me, if we'll just make ourselves available. I offer to God what he's placed into your hands. I don't know what that means for you. Could be a litany of things. I wrote down a handful, money, possessions, influence, talent, abilities. You fill in the blank. What does God put into your hands? Here, you know, it's something I love. Rhonda, she cooks. She cooks. And if you've eaten any of Rhonda's cooking, it's really good. And she says, I'll put this to work. I'll give it to God. Our last Wednesday night homeless outreach dinner, I think there were 164 people there eating the cooking. This last Friday night at our Wichita dinner, there were 40 children, 40 children there. Can I get an amen? And another 40 adults. And they were eating, food prepared. I heard testimony that night, as a couple of us were just standing there watching, we were just, wow, this is amazing. What do you have? I, I, I can cook. OK. Larry, are you here? Larry Schlebar, are you here? What do you got? I got a stick welder and a wire feed and a hood. <laughs> some overalls. And he buys steel and an axle. And he builds a trailer. He says, "This is what I can do." And out of that, there's now our first nonprofit little industry that's going to be helping marginalized be reestablished. He said, "This is what I can do." And Kurt, he says, "I can help with that." Larry, bring it over to my house. I got a spray gun. He says, Dave, have you seen that trailer? It is gonna be a bear. I said, Kurt, can I come over and help you paint it? He said, no, you'll be in the way. (laughs) (laughs) Putting to work that which is in our hands and God takes it and he'll multiply it. He'll multiply it. And sitting in this room, there is testimony after testimony after testimony. Charlie and Linda, what do you have? We have a car. We'll take some people downtown. We got some socks. Somebody left some socks and a tote on our front porch. We'll go give those out. And somebody's life has been changed in 13 years. A hundred meals every single month. You do the math. And untold pairs of socks, and blankets, and jackets, and Because People Matter and Marshall and Leslie taking taking a step of faith and Chris and Lindy Hodges changing lives at Teen Challenge and Adult Teen Challenge. And story after story after story after story sitting right here. God taking our ordinary stuff. What's in your hand? And it doesn't even have to be a possession. It could just be something. I have a smile. Hey, God can use your smile. Can I, yes, I was gonna say, can I get an amen and I already had it. (laughs) God wants to do that. He'll take our ordinary. He'll anoint it with his extra and he'll make it extraordinary. He'll make it extraordinary. He'll take our natural, he'll anoint it and add his super, and it'll become supernatural. And we'll do with little, much. Much is not always volumetric, it might just be significant. You know, one person led Billy Graham to Christ. Oh, he may have been influenced by Sunday school teachers and a litany of other people, but it was one person who introduced him to Jesus. You think that was significant? That might be the only person that shoe salesman ever led to Christ. I think it was a shoe salesman. But it was certainly significant in the kingdom. God's economy is very different. The kingdom of God which we're about, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. We are in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? If we will begin to process things in a greater measure like in the kingdom of God, we'll realize that significance and the application of what matters will be very different. God will take our little and he'll do amazing things for his glory, for the glory of God for the glory of God, for the glory of God. This Christmas, this Christmas season, Pastor Dennis, can we just have the worship team come up? We're going to close with this. We're gonna, can we sing that song, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him, just that chorus, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him? I invite you to stand as the worship team's coming. I just want us to think about this for a moment. And maybe you're here today, if you're here today in this Jesus that we're ultimately talking about taking our past our stuff the things that are in our hand transforming it and then transforming us if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally we want to invite you into relationship will you invite Jesus to be the lord of your life maybe you're here this morning and you, could com- you had committed your life to the Lord sometime in the past, but you know presently you're not living for the Lord. Today's the kind of day where you could rededicate your life to the Lord. Say yes. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, I want everyone just to hear this. Look this way. Be reminded. This is the gospel, and it's the gift of God. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, And we believe in our hearts that God raised Christ from the dead. The scripture says we'll be saved. Saved. That means God's not counting our sin against us. He forgives it. He cleanses us. And he gives us everlasting life. Our name gets written in his book in heaven. And our hope Will be forever in eternal life in Christ. It's the grace of God through faith. So we would invite you, and if you'd like to know more about that, our elders and pastors immediately following the service will be right here. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. If you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord, make haste to the front. Pray with someone. Tell them. You've just been away, and you want to come back. You want to live for God. You want to give him what's in your hands. Maybe it's some of the junk in the past, and he could just He says, throw it down, and it gets transformed. He says, pick it back up. Now use it for my glory. Let your testimony be the testimony of what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done. Let's take that Christmas story. God sending his son into the world to bring life. During this Christmas season when you walk into the mall or some shop and they're playing the music like Jill's playing right now oh come let us adore him and they're playing songs about the savior of the world will you take the time like our president who said hey we're going to start saying things like Merry Christmas again. Let's start saying Merry Christmas. Let's start loving on folks in a greater measure how epic the church, just sharing Jesus and what he has done in our lives. Can I get an amen? I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing. If you want to recommit your life, you can immediately after service, come forward. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, come forward. If you want prayer for anything, in fact, I'm going to invite our elders while we're just standing right now. Elders, will you just make your way to the front? I know a handful of you are in here. I've got a couple of the pastors up on stage and uh, we're just going to invite these guys to come forward and pray. Gil, can you make your way down here? Any wives want to come and join their uh, elders? We'll take deacons down here. Come on, guys. Uh, You want to pray with someone, you come down. I just want to believe God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brothers. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing and benediction and then we'll sing this closing uh, chorus and then come forward for prayer if you'd like. Father, we love you and we thank you. This Christmas season, Lord, it's not about our present scenario. It's not about our past scenario. Lord, what we have given to you can be transformed and anointed. And you can take it and do miraculous things. You can do ordinary things. You can do extraordinary, extraordinary, supernatural. Lord, we yield ourselves to you and we say, yes, Jesus. We say yes. Take our lives. Take what's in our hands. Lord, let us not be defined about our current even occupations, but we want you to define who we are. You. Your word defining who we are. We are the redeemed. We are the beloved. We are the chosen. We are the royal because of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing. Go before us in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said a strong amen. Come for prayer. For those of you who are just going to be heading out into the God's mission field, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God
0: bless you, and let's have an amazing week in Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord.